take our Bibles tonight. We're going to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 13. 1 Corinthians 13. I know some of you are probably thinking, I thought we already finished our series on 1 Corinthians 13. Well, I just enjoyed it so much, I thought we'd go back and take another lap. But uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm, I really am. Uh, we're going to actually look at some verses tonight that we didn't look at in our series on 1 Corinthians 13 and the concept of charity. If you remember, on Wednesday nights we have been uh, taking some time and trying to answer some questions, questions that maybe uh, are common uh, in, uh, in, in the day and age in which we live and, uh, or questions that you have had. Uh, I know I've made that, made that available. If there are some things that maybe have been on your heart or mind uh, and, and you've just been wondering, you know, what about this? And the series is even called, Have You Ever Wondered? And uh, we're looking into some kind of issues, I guess you would say, and what the Bible has to say about them. And tonight, uh, we're going to look at uh, really a question that I have had that's come up in conversation many times over the last several months with different people. And that, that really boils down to what does the Bible say about what we would call the sign gifts? So like the issue of prophecy and prophesying and the issue of speaking in tongues or uh, healings and things of that nature. And it's probably going to take us a couple of weeks to try to answer this question. Uh, but tonight we're going to at least get started on it. And so we're going to begin reading in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse number 8. If you're there and you're able, would you stand with me as we read out of the Word of God, 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 8. Remember everything that we said about charity based on these previous verses and how uh, uh, charity is the principal thing in the life of a Christian. And it says in verse number 8, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity." You can be seated. Thank you for standing. So again, the question that we're seeking to answer tonight is what, what about these gifts? We see, uh, you know, entire churches and, and denominations and movements out there that really place an emphasis on things like uh, speaking in tongues or prophesying. You'll see uh, people having uh, uh, different revival type meetings where they're, uh, they'll have uh, healing uh, services and, and different things like that. And, and I think to some degree there are people that look at us, maybe even from within, that look at Baptists and think, well maybe we don't really 
uh, know the fullness of the Holy Spirit because we don't participate in these types of things. You know, uh, we, don't, we never speak in tongues in our church and, and, uh, uh, and, and, and we don't, you know, we don't have healing services and things like that. And so maybe we're missing out on something. And even some of the most prominent uh, nationally known uh, preachers and speakers out there are, are those who are really involved in these kinds of things. And I think it, it really brings up some questions. Okay, we don't speak in tongues in our church, but why not? Um, we don't have healing services. We don't believe in prophesying in the, in the sense of, uh, of, of revealing truth that, that has not yet been known. We don't believe in those things today. And so are we missing out on something or are these people wrong that do these things? And so tonight, really before we get into, I want to look tonight at the issue of prophecy. But before we really get into that, I want to kind of ask this question and we'll try to answer it based on this passage of the scripture. Do prophecies, tongues, um, uh, special revelation and healings and things of that nature, do those things continue today? Is God still working in that way? Maybe you've even seen uh, where people will say things like this, God is still speaking. And, and you know, that, that maybe causes your attention to go, okay, well, what's he saying, right? You know, if God is still speaking, what, what exactly uh, do we expect? Are these things still relevant for today? And as we look at this passage that we just read in 1 Corinthians 13, this is very important for us to understand. As we studied through the issue of charity, if you remember, I mentioned several times that 1 Corinthians 13 is sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Novel thought, right? But both of those chapters deal with the issue of spiritual gifts and the exercise of spiritual gifts within the church. And so when we consider that, then the context of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter in the Bible, really has to do with the gifting that God has given to all people within the church. And that is, if you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you have the gift of charity because it is a fruit of the Spirit. Love is actually the first fruit of the Spirit. And hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, right? So charity is in the context of spiritual gifts. And so he's just following the same, the same thought pattern as we get to the end of the chapter here. And he says in verse number 8, speaking of spiritual gifts, charity never faileth, but, listen to this, whether, whether there be prophety, prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And so according to the Bible, there will come a day in which prophecies are no more. And speaking in tongues is no more. And even knowledge, and we understand that that's not just saying, you know, you fill your head with knowledge. This, this has to do with supernatural understanding, revelation that's given by God, discernment that's given directly by God, knowledge he says that's going to vanish away. There's going to come a time where these special, miraculous, supernatural sign giftings are going to be done away with. Nobody's going to, nobody can argue from the Bible that that's not true. There's going to come a time when these things end. The question is, when is that time? 
when do these things cease? Verse number 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but, and here's where the confusion comes in, and here's where the debate comes in, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Here's where the confusion comes in. If we know that these things are going away when that which is perfect is come, then the real question is, what is that which is perfect? And some say, well, when we're talking about that which is perfect, that is when this world comes to an end and we are in glory in the presence of God in heaven and everything is perfect and flawless and without sin and without and and that certainly is true after all the world that we live in is not yet perfect is it we still are somewhat limited if you notice and according to this argument verse number 12 for now we see through a glass darkly but then face to face now i know in part but then shall i know even as also I am known. Well, that sure sounds like when we get to heaven, doesn't it? I mean, now, you know, I see things, I have some truth here, but I don't really know the way that I'm going to know. I am not yet face to face with the Lord. Are you, are you with me on that? We're still seeing through a glass darkly to some degree. And I think we can agree on that. Then shall I know even as I am known. I don't yet know the Lord like I am known. When I see him, I shall be like him, or when, when, when he returns, I shall be like him, for I shall see him as he is. And so I can understand why someone's going to look at this and say, well, when that which is perfect has come, this is referring to heaven, when this world is over. It makes sense. Others, though, would, would argue that the word perfect doesn't mean flawless. It doesn't mean that all uh, issues and problems have ceased. Many times when you read in the Bible, the, the word perfect refers to completeness. It refers to something being completed. And, and so when, when we talk about the perfecting of the saints, what, what is it talking about? It's the maturing and the growth and the completing of the saints. We, we never reach a state of perfection in this life, but what, what do we, we, we can become spiritually mature, we can become more complete. And so that's an argument on the other side. And so if we're talking about the concept of perfect being complete, that argument is since the Bible has been completed and God has closed the canon of revelation, there is therefore now no more need for these supernatural gifts. Those are the two sides of the argument. Now, those who believe that that which is perfect is referring to heaven and glory would often be called continuationists. It's continuationism. They believe that the sign gifts are continuing today. On the other side of it, those who believe that once the Bible was completed, these things went away they would be referred to as cessationists. They believe that these things have ceased, the sign gifts have ceased, and are no longer necessary for today. 
And you can certainly understand, as you look at our church and the way that we do things and practice things, we would err on the side of cessationists. We believe that these giftings have, have come to an end, that we don't have today prophecies and, and, and tongues and healings in the way that they did in the first century. But why, why would we believe that? And I will say this, and this is probably a position that I hold that some of you may disagree with, and I know some of my brethren that I uh, love and respect would also disagree with, but follow me on it. I personally believe that when the Bible says, when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away, I want to word this carefully. I believe that this is more of an overarching principle than it is a hard and fast rule. And let me explain why that is and what I mean by that. The comparison and the illustration that is given is verse number 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. How many of you remember being a little kid and thinking silly things? I, I remember, you know, your understanding is limited, you're, you're, you've got foolishness in your thoughts, right? And then he says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Hopefully, if you're 50 years old today, you don't think the same way you did when you were 10. Some things have grown and matured and you've changed in some things, right? But did that happen at one specific time in your life? Did you go from being a child and thinking childish thoughts to all of a sudden being mature and grown and completed in your thinking in a day? Like, oh, it's my 21st birthday. Putting away childish thinking and now I'm... No, it, it was a process, wasn't it? It was something that happened over the course of time and really you could even probably say it's, it's not necessarily hard and fast. I still at times have immature thoughts. Don't you? <laughs> in fact, I get around certain friends that I had when, in my younger days, and some of that immaturity can come out sometimes. You know, we get goofy and silly. And so this wasn't, the, the, the illustration at least that he's using of when I was a child, I was this way, and when I became a man, I was this way. This illustration isn't something that says at the moment that this happens, everything else went away. And so because of that, I would say that this is, uh, uh, the, the, this is something that uh, happens over time. And actually, as you read through the New Testament, early on, after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, you see the sign gifts being used in abundance. You see a lot of speaking in tongues. You see a lot of laying on of hands and healing. And, and you see all these things happening. But by the end of the New Testament, you're not seeing that stuff so much. Gradually, these things started diminishing because something more perfect was coming along. Now, why do I say that? Because I don't necessarily see this passage of Scripture, and you can disagree with me, that's fine. I don't necessarily see this passage of Scripture referring to one or the other. Heaven or the Bible. There are things 
that we will cease to do once Christ returns. Right? There are things that are going to change. But there were also things that changed once the Bible was completed. And so what do you see? This was kind of a progressive thing that happened. And so the the comparison is not necessarily saying, okay, once this, this moment, this date, you know, on such and such a date, these gifts went away, the principle that is behind this is saying when, when the greater has come, the lesser is no longer needed. So when we're talking about sign gifts, by the way, here's the next principle that you need to consider on that. Prophecies, tongues, and supernatural knowledge are considered lesser spiritual gifts than the other gifts that are listed. Notice he says in verse number eleven or verse number eight, charity never faileth, but whether prophet, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail; whether there be tongues, they shall cease; whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. Uh, For now, verse number 12, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. So what's he talking about? He's saying these gifts, prophecies, tongues, knowledge, those are the things that he's comparing to when I was a child. I thought as a child, understood as a child, right? But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So he's actually downplaying and diminishing the value and importance of these signed gifts, by the way, even when these were still in existence. He was saying these are of less importance than other things, like charity that we've just been talking about. And so when we consider these types of gifts, they were partial revelation that were likened to childish understanding. It was the way that the Lord was working for a period of time in the first century, but they were not as good as that which was yet to come. And we'll see that in just a moment. What I find interesting is that most people who believe in the continuation of these sign gifts has made them the emphasis rather than the exception. When you look at charismatic churches, for instance, there is a huge emphasis put on things like speaking in tongues. That's that's one of the primary things that they do And yet, according to the Bible, these were always lesser gifts than faith, hope, and charity. 1 Corinthians 12, we're in chapter 13, look back to the end of verse number, uh, chapter 12, verse 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? But look at verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts... And yet I show you a more excellent way. In other words, all these things at this time were happening, but you ought to be coveting the best gifts. Well, what are the best gifts? Well, according to the next verse, I can have all these things. If I don't have charity, it profits nothing. And so what's he saying? Charity is a greater gift than these things. Don't covet these things. Covet charity. (laughs) Grow in your love. And he even says at the end of the chapter, now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. So he's emphasized these three 
above prophecies, tongues, and, and knowledge. These are better gifts. And so isn't it interesting then that those who believe in this concept of continuation will place such an emphasis on this so as to say, if you really are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, these things are going to be prevalent in your life. And yet the Bible says, no, 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 these are lesser importance than the greater. All right, so that's an important thing to consider. And... Not only are they of lesser importance than other gifts, it is clear that these were temporary gifts. And that is true regardless of when they would cease. However, I find it interesting that at the end of the chapter, in verse number 13, it says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. So it seems as though he is saying that those other gifts, the sign gifts, will cease before faith, hope, and charity cease. But did you know that faith is also a temporary gift? Faith is temporary. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And you know what? When I am in heaven, in the presence of God, there's no more faith, because I am seeing. My faith has become sight. And so it seems that, even in this context, he's saying faith, hope, charity will remain beyond healings, miracles, knowledge, tongues, prophecies, all these things. Faith, hope, charity abide longer. But even faith and hope don't last forever. So at some point, these other things must cease before faith and hope and charity do. When is that? Well, it's when that which is perfect has come. We'll, we'll get into that here in just a minute. I know we won't get through all of this this evening. But it would seem to indicate that the sign gifts will cease prior to heaven. Also, I want to say, speaking of these sign gifts, is that they were given for a specific purpose and a specific time. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 22, look at what he says here. He's speaking about tongues and how they can be used within a church. And he says, wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So, so as we look at this, what's he saying? When we get to the issue of speaking in tongues, this is not for the edification of believers, but it was for unbelievers to hear and to understand the gospel. And they were a sign confirming. If you remember, the very first instance of this happening was in Acts chapter 2, where on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on, on the church there and empowered them. And, and what happened was that those people, those apostles, began preaching the word of God, preaching the gospel in the languages of those who were hearing them. And this was confusing to those people, and they thought, well, what are these people, drunk or something like that, you know? Because we, we, here, how do they all know this, this language that they've never learned? 
Well, it was because the Holy Spirit was empowering them to do that so that people could hear the gospel. And it was a shocking thing. It was a confirmation of the message that they were preaching. Understand, though, what were they speaking in? Not some weird, unknown language to anyone. They were speaking in a tongue, a language that was unknown to them, but it was known and understood by the hearers so that they heard the gospel in their own language, and this was a sign that God was working through them. It was a sign to the unbelievers so that they could hear the gospel and be saved. Let me ask you, as you look around you today at the individuals who claim to speak in tongues, what language are they speaking? Oh, it's an unknown tongue. Not unknown just to them. It's unknown to anyone because it's not a language at all. It's just a bunch of mumbo jumbo that they're just, you know, they're just spewing out sounds, but they're not communicating truth to anyone. So this wasn't the biblical concept of what tongues were, but even biblical tongues was not meant for the edification of believers, but it was for unbelievers to hear and understand the gospel. This was uh, uh, true as well of other gifts that the Bible tells us were given as confirmation or to add credibility to the message being preached. Mark chapter 16 and verse 20 talks about those who uh, followed Christ, those that he sent out, uh, the Lord confirming the word uh, through them by signs and wonders. Hebrews uh, 2 and verses 3 and 4 uh, talk about the same thing, that God confirmed the word through signs uh, uh, through the people. And so... Notice that these things were given as a sign to people who did not have a completed Bible and who were not saved. That's important. And let me say this also. Signs are not necessary for those of us who walk by faith and not by sight. The just shall live by faith, the Bible says, And Jesus said, a wicked and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. In other words, it's wicked people who are looking for a sign. Let me just say to you, Christian friend, it is not wrong for you to pray for divine guidance and confirmation of the will of the Lord. You want to make sure, you want to be careful and and, and ask the Lord to lead you and show you things. But you need to be very careful about expecting, you know, God, you need to prove this to me by, by giving me a sign. You know, I need to see, I, I, heard, I heard a guy say he was, he was praying about going to Bible college somewhere. And particularly, he was praying about a school, um, one school in Oklahoma and one in another state. And he was driving down the highway. Lord, would you show me a sign? And someone drove past with an Oklahoma license plate that said, Oklahoma is okay. And he took that as God telling him, you're supposed to go to Oklahoma, you know. You know, sometimes Christians can be kind of silly when it comes to seeking signs. We're not called to seek after a sign. Do You know, you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God by yielding your body a living sacrifice and being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can fill yourself with the Word of God and and the Holy Spirit is able to lead you through His Word into all truth. You don't need a sign. You don't need the Lord to appear at at the 
bed of your foot, uh, the foot of your bed, and tell you, you know, what you're supposed to do. You don't need a cross, a flaming cross in the sky. No, no, no. A, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, but the just live by faith. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And if God said it in His word, we believe it and we obey it. And that, and and that's the issue. And so. Isn't it interesting then that as we look at the purpose of signs and sign gifts and, 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 and even in the New Testament, these things are not necessary, certainly not necessary for Christians, for believers in Christ today. But really it's not even necessary to add credibility to the message that's being preached. Do you know what the greatest sign of the validity of the message that we preach. Do you know what the greatest sign is? Your testimony. Your changed life, the, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit flowing through you. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? It's love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and meekness and temperance and faith and all of these things. Those things in you and through you is the sign that the world needs that this is true. That's what's needed it's not all this weird, supernatural, miraculous stuff that the world needs. Even Satan can do that. But Satan can't produce the fruit of the Spirit. And so these purposes, even the purpose that these things were given for, is not necessary today as it was in the first century. And let me say this also and reiterate that these gifts, even in the first century, were rare and became increasingly so. As time went forward, you started seeing fewer and fewer instances of, uh, of these miraculous things taking place because the word was spreading and the testimony of God's people was becoming evident to the world. I want to also say that the primary instructions that were given about issues like prophecy and speaking in tongues, the primary instructions that we see are found in the book of 1 Corinthians. Why is that significant? Well, 1 Corinthians is a book that is filled with all kinds of instruction and doctrine and helpful truth for the New Testament church. But it was written to a group of Christians, to a church that was known for its carnality. And a lot of things in Corinth were out of order. And these things were being written to set them in order. To set them straight. When you come to other churches that were already pretty straight and, and, and orderly, you don't find much teaching about these things. Why? Well, because this was never the emphasis, even all the way back then when those things were still in existence. And so while there was no express condemnation of these practices, there was a downplaying of the importance of them because the emphasis was on the need for charity and the true fruit of the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning verse number 18, the Bible tells us that we're not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. You say, wow, what does that look like? And, and, and man, if I was filled with the Spirit, what, what, could, you know, what kind of power would I have? I could lay hands on someone and they could receive the Holy Ghost. You remember someone wanting that power? Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter number 8. 
No. Galatians chapter 5 tells us what the fullness of the Spirit looks like in our lives. The fullness of the Spirit is Christ being manifested in us. It's, it's our lives being a reflection of that which God has done in us. It's having true joy. It's having true victory. It's the abundant life that God promised to us through Christ. We don't need all these other things. And tonight I was hoping to get into the issue of prophecy. We'll have to hold that off until next time. But I just want to say in, in all of these things, let's go to Second Peter chapter number 1. If you would, I, I, I want to show you what's so, so important that I think we miss when we place such an emphasis on sign gifts is that which God wants us to see and to, to, uh, to emphasize. Second Peter 1 verse number 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the, of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. If you go down to verse number 19, it says, where uh, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So what's he saying? Well, first of all, he's saying God has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has given you everything you need to live a godly life before him. And then he says, take heed to a more sure word of prophecy. And he points to the scripture and he said, it wasn't, it wasn't by the will of man that this book came about, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And the words that you have on these pages of scripture are the very words of God that are sufficient to meet the needs of your life. All things that pertain unto life and godliness are contained in the pages of this book. 2 Timothy 3 and verses 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be, here's that word again, perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. What's he saying? The scripture is all you need. If you have the word of God and the Spirit of God, you don't need prophecies and tongues and healings and knowledge. You, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. So all of these things, and, and again, I was hoping to get into some of these things a little bit more, but all of these things are unnecessary today because we have something greater the lesser gifts cease to be necessary when the greater was come. And we have the greatest that we're going to have this side of heaven right here.